Welcome to the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where you can learn to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Here, 40-year veteran attorney Paul Samico will entertain you and help you understand the law in areas we might all face. Brushes with the police? Oh boy. Family disputes? Oh no. An injury and accident situations? Ouch. And now, here's Paul. And hello there. I am Paul Samico, the host of this Wrongdoer Wednesday edition of the Legal Merry-Go-Round, where I always want you to remember to avoid the downs and savor the ups. Yes, that's right. Every single day as you walk through your life, try to avoid the bad stuff, the downs, and savor the ups, the good times. Think of it like that merry-go-round you used to ride when you were a kid. You didn't like that feeling of going down, but you really enjoyed when that horse went back up. So today, yes, Wrongdoer Wednesdays, this is where we talk about criminal law and stuff like that and bad guys, right? So I'm going to talk today about the question of rape. Yes, very upsetting, but we need to understand what's involved in a rape so that if you, young man, are with a young lady, be careful. Make sure that it is consensual. And by all means, don't think that because you didn't force her, it might not be rape. And so that is the question two cases I'm going to discuss today are going to examine whether or not the use of force is required for a conviction of rape. Okay, so here, the first case out of Washington State, this is a case which is highly unusual in the factual situation, but the best I can make of it from reading the case summary and the review is that there is a woman who is getting married the next morning. And she is sleeping on the floor in a hotel room. The wedding is going to take place downstairs in the grand ballroom of the hotel. Now, again, she's sleeping. Somehow, this guy gets into the room and he completely undresses and he lays on top of her and proceeds to have sexual intercourse with her. He says that she didn't ever object. He says that he didn't force her. He says that she consented. Now, it might be interesting to understand how this uh, played out in the courts when he was charged with rape, that he weighs over 100 pounds more than she does. The woman, the victim, says that she did not consent, but she didn't say a word, and that there was no force. She agrees. She says she was terrified, she was afraid, and she froze, and she just laid there and let him take advantage of her. Okay, so the gentleman 
initially is not convicted. The charge is reduced to sexual battery. He says again that there was no force and that by her not saying no or don't or stop, she implicitly consented to the act. Not convicted. Reduced to a charge only, misdemeanor charge of sexual battery. The prosecution's office appeals the case. I'm going to tell you what happens when we come back from the break. Across the country, all the way from Washington State, where this wedding night, the pre-wedding night attack occurred, in Massachusetts, in Massachusetts, a man driving a normal type looking vehicle is down in the red light district, if you will, and he sees a woman walking along the street. Now, whether she was truly a prostitute or not never comes up in the trial summary that I have to be able to share with you, but I believe that it might be that she was a prostitute because it did detail that it was the red light district uh, in this particular city. So the man pulls up next to her as she's walking and pretends to be a cop, tells her to get into the car. He shows her that he has a gun, and he tells her that he is going to arrest her and put her away for a long time unless she cooperates. Well, I don't need to explain to you what happened. He pulls over somewhere, and the act of sexual intercourse takes place. And again, the summary of the case is pretty clear. There is no force, absolutely none. She doesn't resist. Is this man going to be convicted of rape? Well, I'm going to tell you after the break. Okie dokie. Hey, well, wasn't that fun the first half? We're going to get to the break, like I said just a moment ago. But first, I have to share this. You know, I think life is very important. Uh, and I think um, Mr. Berger uh, in Huntington, New York, also, also thinks so. But uh, he was up for sentencing uh, for a stolen Lexus and attempted grand larceny of a truck punishment that prosecutors said he was looking to avoid, uh, very clearly based on what he did next. He fakes his own death. He gets a, uh, a, a death certificate printed up, and he has his girlfriend take it to his lawyer in the case so that the lawyer could then take it to court and say, oh, well, you know, the guy's dead, uh, can't sentence him. The only problem was that the death certificate clearly wasn't a... Uh, uh, a death certificate issued by any authority, uh, the County of Vital Statistics and Registry Office. How did they know that it was a fake death certificate? Well, the word registry was spelled improperly, uh, and the uh, this certificate that he had presented had extraordinary inconsistencies in the font type and the size of the individual characters. Uh, 
leading to suspicion that eh, he probably this is a fake and he's alive. Police go out and find him, and uh, he is given a one dollar uh, bail for uh, creating a false paper. Uh, but then they threw him in the clink, waiting his sentencing on the other charges. Ah, the sanctity of life. Uh, I'm dead. Can't sentence me. Uh, sorry, Charlie. Okay, it's break time here on the merry-go-round. We want to give you value. So, do you need an attorney for an injury case or a criminal matter or something involving family law? Mr. Samico has the answer for you. Go to our podcast website, www.thelegalmerrygoround.com. Again, that's thelegalmerrygoround.com and click on the referrals tab. Then, either fill out the form or call the telephone number where you can leave a detailed message that Mr. Samico will pick up, and you'll get a response with a referral to an excellent attorney in your area within eight business hours. And the referral is free, no charge to you for this referral. So again, if you're looking for a lawyer that meets the highest standards, Paul is going to hook you up. And every attorney he refers to meets the highest standards, and Paul has checked them out for you. If you like what you're hearing from him during these shows, you know he's going to take care of you. So go to thelegalmerrygoround.com. And now, back to the show. Okay, so we are back to share with you the legalities, the definitions of force and consent in these cases involving rape. I want to share my history just for a moment. Got nothing really to do with the details of today's cases, but just, you know, you're listening to me and I really appreciate it. So here's a glimpse of who I am. When I started my law practice, I, what they call hung out a shingle, I didn't work for anybody. I didn't go try and get a job in a law firm. I passed the bar examination in Virginia, and I thought, well, okay, Virginia says that I'm a lawyer, so I might as well go be a lawyer. And I found an office within walking distance of the courthouse in Fairfax County, Virginia. And I opened my office, renting a space in a townhouse from another attorney who was much older and much more experienced. And I thought, great, I can bounce things off this guy and he'll help me. Well, after I established the office, I went down to the courthouse and found that there was an office that was for something like a public defender, but it was called the court appointed list, where if individuals charged with crimes didn't have a lawyer and couldn't afford them, the court would appoint a lawyer for them to represent them in their criminal cases. So I put myself on that list. And I don't know what it was, but there was like a little, you know, something came down from above, came down from on high and gave me this, this, this marching orders 
you never knew what was going to be the type of case that the court would call you and say, okay, you've now been appointed. But I made a decision early on. I decided that I could do any type of a case except rape. I would never represent somebody who had been charged with rape, even if they were not guilty. Somehow inside, my constitution just wouldn't allow me to go and sit with somebody who might have done this and then try and help him. Anyway, having nothing else to say about that, I never did represent anybody in my entire career charged with a sex crime. I want to get back to the case out in Washington State, the pre-wedding day, uh, the evening before the wedding, uh, uh, sexual intercourse situation with this woman who froze, the woman who just laid there when this man weighing more than 100 pounds uh, got on top of her completely naked. So in the trial court, he was not convicted of rape because uh, there was a finding that there was no force used. The charge had been reduced to sexual battery. The appellate court saw it differently. I'm sure you're happy to hear that. They described that fear is enough, and they went into a lengthy discussion about fear. So fear alone can be a basis for a conviction of rape. Fear, the court there said, had two components, a subjective and an objective. Subjective components asks whether a victim genuinely entertained a fear of immediate and unlawful bodily injury, sufficient to induce her to submit to sexual intercourse against her will. Now, the objective, and you guys know the difference between subjective and objective, right? Subjective is something that necessarily can't be proven other than what someone would say, but objective is there is proof. So in the world, let's just say of injuries, if you say your right arm hurts, well, nobody can really tell other than what you say. But if there is an x-ray showing a fracture, well, then we can pretty much understand that your arm could hurt if there is a fracture because the x-ray is objective proof. So objective proof here, the court said, asks whether the victim's fear was reasonable under the circumstances, and if unreasonable, whether the perpetrator knew of the victim's subjective fear and took advantage of it. So the appellate court uh, increases the charge back to rape, finds this nut job slimeball guilty, I mean, who gets naked in a hotel room, don't know anybody, see a woman on the floor sleeping, gets on top of her? I mean, ugh, I'm so glad this guy got convicted. F friends after the, uh, uh, the trial was over confirmed that this woman was genuinely distraught, and she says that she froze out of fear as to what was going to happen to her if she didn't just simply submit. And she said she was so afraid that she really couldn't even say anything. All right, so we want to go now back to across the uh, the country, the case where the guy is rolling through the red light district in his car and has this woman get into his car, um, threatening that he's going to arrest her, telling her that he's a cop, shows her uh, that he has a gun, 
and that he's going to put her away. The question here is, and then, of course, he he rapes her, um, is, is he guilty uh, where um, the consent appears to be there because she didn't object? She didn't say no. She didn't say stop. She didn't say don't. There was no physical force. He didn't uh, make her... Uh, uh, you know, throw her against some wall or something or tie her down. I mean, it's just, you know, it appeared that, you know, from all other, you know, review of this, if there's no discussion that, you know, man has woman get in car, woman takes off clothes, man takes off clothes and they have sex. Well, that's not what happened here. As again, I'm sure you're happy to hear. Um, there is not a requirement that, that I can find anywhere in the in the in this country that requires force and the reason for that is that there's any number of things that can induce fear that will have women or rape victims submit and it doesn't mean that uh, you have to beat them up or tie them down or use physical force or be violent i mean imagine you know here let's let's take this to the next level Imagine that this woman was told by this man that uh, he knew where her family was, and if she didn't submit, he was going to go and have his accomplices kill all of them immediately. Well, you know, that's that's pretty upsetting. So I imagine that in a situation like that, the fear could be said to be at the highest level. In this particular case, the court called this constructive force. It wasn't physical, but it was mental, it was emotional, it was psychological. So in this particular case, this gentleman, gentleman, ugh, I can't even believe I just used that word, this slime ball uh, gets convicted. Uh, he obviously was not a cop. Um, going to the clink, thank goodness. Uh, the woman, again, still don't know if she was a lady of the night, but it doesn't matter. Uh, you have the right to say no, you have the right to refuse, uh, no matter what your situation in life, you should not be subjected to uh, unwanted physical attack or sexual attack. So, okay, then, we have this situation of rape, and again, I, I sometimes like to get up on my soapbox and just talk. The issue of rape is a clear one in many, many, many situations, but it's most murky in colleges where young men and young women with raging hormones, the spin out of possibilities of how the sexual intercourse occurred can be as varied as your imagination. And I would say to any and all who are in college, young men and young women, that you need to be a million percent sure of what's going on before you decide to be together. The introduction of alcohol makes things even murkier. Studies have proven that the emotional uh, willingness to do things that you might not otherwise do when you're under the influence of alcohol increases dramatically. So fr frat parties, sorority parties, uh, dancers, mixers, whatever, 
you call these arrangements where men and women get together, it's just absolutely vital. It's absolutely critical that if you find yourself in this situation, that you know what you're doing. Uh, you have responsibility just as much as the women, young men, unless you are a million percent clear that this is what's going to happen and that the woman that you're going to be with wants it to happen, then you need to refrain, you need to control yourself. Okay, I'll step back down off of my soapbox. This is a, a uh, another edition of Wrongdoer Wednesdays here at the Legal Merry-Go-Round. I hope and I pray that it has helped at least just one person, and then I will have done a good thing. For all the rest of you, if you knew this, well, congratulations. And for all the rest of you and that one person, I, I have a favor. I want you to go to my website, thelegalmerrygoround.com. And on that website, you can find free reports, and you can find the ability to reach out to me through through that website if you need help with anything in the law, because I can make a referral for you, and it's free. And the attorney that I'm going to refer you to is someone that you can trust. So I hope that you have a wonderful day, and I'm looking forward to having you be in the audience on Friday when I'm going to talk about injury stuff and accidents, and we call that show, as you remember, Fender Bender Fridays. Thank you for your ear today. Thanks for listening to The Legal Merry-Go-Round. We hope you enjoyed our show. Tune in next time to get a better understanding of real-life legal situations.